0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, Mark chapter 3. Here's a question for you. Does God need our help? Does God need our help? The answer to that question is no and yes. No, he doesn't. But yes, he does. And we're going to talk about that here in this message today. The title of the message is Need Some Help It's from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. Beginning with verse 13, the Gospel of Mark was written uh, to encourage Christians during the 60s. Not the 1960s, but the 60s. Uh, Some Christians were being killed, others were being tortured. It was not a good time to be a Christian in the Roman Empire at that time. And Mark is writing to encourage these Christians because they were undergoing persecution that they did not expect to experience. That wasn't what was supposed to be part of the Christian life, uh, if you're a new Christian especially. And so uh, he's writing to encourage them and to admonish them to persevere in their Christian faith. And he's writing in a hurry. Uh, he, he, He feels an urgency to write to these people. He's writing much like a newspaper journalist. Many newspaper journalists would write today. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, maybe you have, if you're a newspaper reader, especially an online newspaper reader, um, newspaper articles these days have to catch your attention quickly. Get to the subject, establish the conflict, draw in the customer, and then finish it quickly. And if if an article doesn't do that, doesn't succeed in, in bringing you in quickly, most of the time we check out. This morning I was reading the newspaper early. And I'll tell you why I was reading it really early. I know that uh, the time changed this morning. And so most everybody uh, lost an hour of sleep. That does not give anybody an excuse for going to sleep during this message, however. Uh, This morning, I got up uh, two hours early by mistake. And here's the reason. The clock that I use for an alarm... Before I went to bed last night, I set it up an hour, you know, spring forward, right? What I did not know was that my beautiful wife, yesterday afternoon, had already set that clock up an hour. So when my alarm clock went off this morning, I was up a lot earlier than you were and didn't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be the grumpiest sermon you've ever heard in your life. Yeah. So I was reading the paper and there were a couple of articles that immediately caught my attention. And they were short enough that I got all the way through them and checked out and I got all the information I needed. But there were a couple of articles where the writers wanted to kind of just write a whole bunch of fluff before they got to the main subject. And I just couldn't finish those articles. I couldn't do it. You got to do it quick. Mark wrote like an article writer who was grabbing you quickly, getting you to the conflict, and then letting you go. He's in a hurry. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that they might send him out that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, Petros in Greek, Rocky in slang English. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them, he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Jesus liked giving nicknames to people. Andrew, Philip. Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. One of the most incredible realities of Christian faith is that although God can do everything that he does without any of us, he could do it without us, he has chosen to need us and therefore to call us to help him in doing what he does. That's the reason I answered the question at the beginning of this message. The question was, does God need us? No, technically, he does not. There's nothing that we do that God couldn't do and do it better. He could certainly preach better than any preacher I know. He could send angels to sing for us, and he could have uh, uh, people in heaven prophets, for instance, to come back and do the praying for us. He could do all of that, and it could be done so much better than we could do it. And yet, God chooses to need us. He'd have to choose to need us. Because outside of Him choosing, He has no need of anything. But He chooses to need us, to call us, to use us. And so our our response is to uh, serve Him to enter a relationship with him and to serve him. The mission statement of our church is connect, grow and serve connecting with God and other people in worship, growing in our relationship with God and other people through our small groups and Bible study classes, serving God by serving people in our community and around the world. And and our Our stance is that we are not fully maturing as Christians until we have progressed all the way through to serving. And yet while we're serving, we're continually connecting, continually growing so that we can continually improve in our serving. Serving is what we're about. It's what we as Christians have been called to do. I heard about a man who arrived at the pearly gates and St. Peter met him at the pearly gates And when he saw the man, he looked up the man's record and he said, well, you didn't do anything particularly good, but neither did you do anything particularly bad. I'll tell you what, Peter said, if you can tell me of one really good deed that you've done, then I'll let you stay. I didn't say the story was theologically good, but... If you can tell me of one good thing you've done, I'll let you stay. So the man says, well, I saw some bikers menacing a, a young woman the other day, and I stopped my car, took out my tire iron. I walked up to their leader, this huge, hairy, ugly man with tattoos. He had a nose ring. I ripped it out of his nose. I said, you leave this girl alone. You hear I stared at all of them. And I said, now you get out of here or you'll have to answer to me. And Peter was impressed. He said, when did this happen? The man said, about two minutes ago. (laughs) Serving. Sometimes it's costly. In this passage of Scripture, Mark describes Jesus calling his disciples. Jesus needs their help. Now, let's suppose that you and I lived during the time of Jesus. And we were given the responsibility by Jesus to go out and to select 12 persons to be his intimate followers. This is Jesus we're talking about. And, and we're given the responsibility to go out and select 12 people. What qualifications would you require? I mean, try to pull yourself away from the scripture. I know that we have, we have read the scripture so many times, or heard it preached or taught, so many times that we're actually too familiar with it. It's hard to divorce ourselves from it. But try to close the book on that that text for just a moment and imagine yourself being given the responsibility to select helpers for Jesus. What qualifications would you require? What kind of uh, experience would you require? And then once you make that list, contrast it, if you can, with the list of requirements Jesus must have had. Because if you and I are objectively honest about the requirements that we would hold someone to have, we're going to find that they're going to be different from the requirements that Jesus evidently had for these uh, disciples. John MacArthur, the pastor John MacArthur Described these men this way. He says, now, when we think of the twelve apostles, disciples, typically, he says, if you have any kind of background in church or going into a cathedral, you've seen the stained glass apostles, apostles that are engraved in stained glass. He says they're typically elevated in some transcendent way, somewhere just below God. Or, or just below Jesus, or in some very prominent location, because the assumption is that these were the highest and the best and the classiest and the most religiously ascended of all Christian masters. MacArthur says, though, that nothing could be further from the truth. He says they are not otherworldly, they're not nearly divine, They are not the cream of the crop among men. They're not the highest and the noblest and the best. They're not the most educated, the most highly skilled, the most gifted, humanly speaking. He says the truth is they basically are distinguished by one thing they are ordinary. And then MacArthur says they are a motley, motley group. MacArthur goes on to say this. He says, Not one of them is renowned for scholarship. Not one of them is renowned for erudition. That means he spoke good. None of them had a track record as an orator or some kind of theologian. They were outsiders, total outsiders from the religious religious establishment of Jesus' day. They didn't have any particular natural talents, no intellectual talents. They were, on the other hand, prone to mistakes and misjudgments and misunderstandings and bad attitudes and lapses of faith and bitter failure and argumentativeness, and no more so than their leader, Peter. And Jesus remarked that they were slow learners, they were spiritually dense. MacArthur sums it all up by saying they were blockheads. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, there are only two creatures who ever verbally acknowledge Jesus as God. One of them is a centurion who's not a believer, and the other one was a demon. The disciples, for all of their time with Jesus, never acknowledge in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is the Lord and God. Now, they do in the other Gospels, but not in Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel is the first Gospel that was written. When you look at Jesus' choice of disciples... Just from a human standpoint. You got to step back and say, what on earth were you thinking, man? Why would you have chosen? Would you have chosen Judas? Peter, is anybody going to choose a man with a foot shaped mouth? Please tell me honestly. Well, some of you will, because you have a foot (laughs) shaped (laughs) mouth. We have foot shaped mouths. You people laugh at some of the most inappropriate times. (laughs) We can find fault with Jesus for his ineptitude in choosing his helpers, or we can find encouragement in the fact that Jesus chose as his helpers people who are, were like us. I want to tell you four things about God needing help. And the helpers he chooses. First off, I want you to notice from this text that Jesus calls ordinary people to service. Jesus has never called an extraordinary person to service. All the people the Lord calls to his service are ordinary people. If he had had planned at any time to call extraordinary people, he would have called... An extraordinary, At least one extraordinary person to be among this ragtag bunch of disciples, but he did not. He called ordinary people. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were uh, farmers. One of them was a tax collector, and he was only a tax collector for the Romans because evidently he couldn't find anything else to do. Two or three of them were revolutionary mercenaries. I mean, this is a group of people no person in their right mind would have chosen, and yet Jesus chose them. They are ordinary because Jesus calls ordinary. About a hundred years ago, there was a theologian and philosopher, a very humble servant of a man, a missionary. His name was Albert Schweitzer. He was also a scientist, one of the most loved people of his day. And one day he was uh, being interviewed and someone asked him who he thought who he thought would be the greatest person alive in the world at the time that he was living. Who was the greatest person? I might ask you that question right now. Who do you think is the greatest person currently living? What is the name of the greatest person currently living? I think it'd be interesting to to poll everybody and find out who you think that was. So an interviewer asked Albert Schweitzer this just shy of 100 years ago, and Albert Schweitzer said this he said quote the greatest person alive in the world at this moment is some unknown individual in some obscure place who at this hour has gone in love to be with another person in need an ordinary person the second thing I want you to get out of this is not only does Jesus call ordinary people, but he calls ordinary people to achieve extraordinary purposes. Don't think for a minute that because Jesus only calls ordinary people that he expects us to continue to be ordinary that is never the case. God chooses ordinary people, but expects and helps us to accomplish extraordinary things. This ragtag group of 12, we know what happens with Judas. But what do the other 11 accomplish? Well, we, we get some hint of what they were accomplishing even in just, within just a few months after uh, Jesus was crucified and resurrected and, and ascended. In Acts chapter 17, these disciples have, have split up and they've gone different ways and they're reaching people for Christ. And, and Acts chapter 17 verse 5 says, says But the Jews were not pers- who were not persuaded took some evil men from the marketplace, gathered a mob and set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of, Je- of Jason, where some of the disciples were staying, and sought to bring them out to the people, but they couldn't find them. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city. And here's what they cried out. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here. Nobody, nobody would have thought looking at a first glance of these 12 disciples that within a matter of a few months that people would be saying this ragtag bunch are the ones who have turned the world upside down and yet that's exactly what happened because God took these ordinary men and through him he accomplished some extraordinary purposes third Jesus calls us not because of our abilities but because of our potential in him. You know how I hate church marquees. Have I told you all that? Have I told you all that? I don't like them. I don't. They're the cheesiest things, I think, on the face of the earth. There's a a sign not far from here that has been the same for the last month. I mean, if you're going to have a church marquee, at least change it every week or so there's a marquee and it says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Now, that's a true statement, by the way. I I, I don't disagree with that, but it just sounds cheesy to me. Actually, though, I think uh, what would be even uh, even truer to say would be this. If you want God to laugh, tell him how blessed he is to have you. Start start outlining all your different abilities and talents and gifts to God. Now, I can imagine that would make him bend over double just when laughter. God, you have no idea how lucky you are to have me. Actually, that's not the case ever. God will never, ever select a person because of their abilities. In fact, we really have no abilities until God chooses to give us abilities and gifts and talents. You see, Jesus calls us in spite of ourselves. And one of the reasons that Jesus calls us, not because of our abilities, but in spite of them, is because when he calls ordinary people and those ordinary people accomplish extraordinary things, God is the only one who rightfully, justifiably, can be given credit. So God calls us, not because of our abilities, but because of His potential in us. Ephesians 2.8 says it's by grace that you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Not only, though, are we saved by grace through faith and kept by grace through faith, but we are gifted and talented and and, uh, endowed with abilities by that same grace. So God calls us to do extraordinary things. Because of his potential in us. Fourth and finally, the fact that Jesus calls ordinary people is encouraging because that means he'll call you. I wish you had a mirror to look at this morning. I wish you'd pick it up and look at it. And, and when you would look at it, I would want everybody in this room to say that person in the mirror, God has called him, her, them. Because God has called all of us. There's not a person whom God has not called. And the fact that Jesus would call some ordinary disciples to do extraordinary things, it ought to encourage us. Because if God can call a Simon Peter or a James and John, who, were, who had such violent personalities that they fought most of the time, argued much of the time, even argued with Jesus. That's the reason Jesus called them the Thunder Boys. If he can take those kind of people and turn the world upside down, then he can take you and turn our world upside down. He can accomplish extraordinary things. If he can choose them, he can use you. Dr. William Willimon is the professor of Christian teaching at Duke University. He's also the uh, dean of the chapel there. He's United Methodist. And of course, he teaches ministry classes. And in an article for the Christian Century, he writes about a young lady who was taking uh, ministry classes under him a few years ago at Duke University. And the work that she was turning in was just totally unacceptable to him. And so he recounts his conversation with her. He says, this work is really unacceptable. He says, I told this first year divinity student who had just informed me that she would once again not have her paper in on time. You're going to be a pastor he said to her, Pastors must be punctual. You can't stand up on Sunday and say, Oh, I hope to have a sermon for you today, but first one thing and then another came up. And so we're instead we're going to break up into buzz groups instead of listening to me preach today. You just can't do that, he told her. William Willimon said, the lady looked up at him and said, I agree with you, Dr. Willimon. I have few obvious gifts for ministry. I'm always late. I'm too old. I know I have no business being in seminary. I have told God that repeatedly. My being here is God's idea, not mine. William Willimon said upon reflection, he said, I realized that she had it right. We are in ministry in service to God in God's world because we have been called and put here by a God." who just loves to make something out of nothing. St. Francis of Assisi, who was anything but a sissy, wrote in his letters to rulers of people, he said this, he says, keep a clear eye toward life's end. Do not forget your purpose and destiny as God's creature. What you are in his sight is what you are and nothing more, he said, Remember that when you leave this earth, you can take nothing that you have received, these fading symbols of honor, trappings of power, but only what you have given a full heart enriched by honest service, sacrifice, and love. God calls Ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and he equips them, gifts them, talents them with everything that we need to be everything that he's called us to be. And that means he's called you. Why does God only call ordinary people to do extraordinary things? Because ordinary people are the only people there are. Let's pray. Lord, your word tells us that even when we were sinners, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. You knew how bad we were, but you knew what we could be in you. And so you paid the price. And if that weren't already enough, after you save us, you call us to help you. You who need nothing have seen fit to choose to need us to help you accomplish great things. Lord, I pray that you would really nail down to all of us here today that you want all of us to know you in a relationship that brings eternal life. And you want all of us to know that you've called each one of us. There's no one here who hasn't been called. Lord, thank you for only using ordinary people. But thank you for giving us everything we need, including yourself, so that we ordinary people can accomplish extraordinary things. In Jesus' name.